of From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Washington Watch. Coming up, the Biden administration issuing its vaccine mandate for federal employees yesterday. Also, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi threatening to have those without masks at the U.S. Capitol arrested. We'll get the latest from Congressman Matt Rosendale of Montana. And parents are not backing down in their pursuit of accountable, responsible public education. Meg Kilgannon, FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies, is here with an educational update. The Supreme Court will soon hear oral arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson's women, Women's Health, the abortion case out of Mississippi that could lead to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, or at least significantly limiting its judicial reach. The Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Finch made a clear made very clear in her recently filed brief that Mississippi was not going to dance around the real issue. And what is that issue? Roe v. Wade. FRC is also filing an amicus brief in the case. Catherine Beck-Johnson, FRC's research fellow for legal and policy studies, is here with more on that topic. And Heather Johnston, author of Uncommon Favor, The Intentional Life of a Disciple, is here with some insight into what is happening in Israel and how the U.S. can strengthen its strategic ties with that that nation. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. And let me once again encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. Go to the App Store, download the app. Not only will that alert you to when Washington Watch is coming on, if you're beyond the reach of one of the 800 stations that uh, carry the program, but also, and more importantly, you'll be able to get legislative alerts to let you know when you need to take action, who you need to contact, and what you need to say. Our republic is only made for participants, not spectators. So download the Stand Firm app. Late Thursday evening, the Biden administration announced it was instituting a new COVID policy. Every federal government employee will be asked to attest to their vaccination status. Anyone who does not attest or is not vaccinated will be required to mask no matter where they work, test one or two times a week to see if they've they've acquired COVID, socially distance, and generally will not be allowed to travel for work. Likewise, today, I'm directing my administration to take steps to apply similar standards to all federal contractors. Wow. There's the mandate. Joining me now to talk about this and more, Congressman Matt Rosendale of Montana. Congressman, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Tony. Well, you heard the president there. That uh, sure sounds like a mandate to me. That is a mandate, and we have been pushing for the last six months to try to eliminate mandates just such as this so that people aren't treated as outcasts. And and at that time, we were just worried about travel passports and things of that nature. And now President Biden has pushed it even further so that you're going to be talking about putting a wedge between workers and employees, and you're going to have to attest 
to whether you had taken a vaccination or not. This is well beyond draconian uh, practices. This is Orwellian. This is really strange things. And whatever happened to the privacy that we were guaranteed under HIPAA laws to be able to, to make your medical information you know, kept private between you and your doctor, uh, this is stunning. You know, I just think the, the Biden administration, the federal government under the Democratic control is just going around the going about this the, absolutely the wrong way. First off, and I, I've talked about this repeatedly on on the program, but never any discussion of natural immunity. Those uh, millions of Americans that have already had the covid virus have natural resistance to it. They have natural immunity. They're part of building the herd immunity. But that's not taken into account. Uh, and there's this heavy-handed approach from government, which, in my view, I think this is what this is going to ha- And I'm not against the vaccine, by the way. I'm not against the vaccine. I think every American should have a right to choose what they're going to do uh, if, based upon their own personal health situation. But what this is going to do is probably lead to more people getting seriously ill because they probably should get the vaccine, but they're not going to because of this heavy-handed approach of the government. Yeah, that this is the wrong way to do this. The uh, mandate of a vaccine is not the way to go. The mandates that um, uh, Speaker Pelosi is forcing upon the House of Representatives to make sure that everyone is wearing a mask is not the way to go. The CDC has flipped their opinion now once again to mandate masks in indoor areas as opposed to just uh, within a week ago that they were saying that you didn't have to have masks on and you're getting so much um, differing information from so-called experts. It's confusing the general public and there's no, no uh, misunderstanding why they wouldn't be reluctant to take a vaccine. Like you, I think that people should uh, discuss this with their doctors and if their doctor recommends that they should be vaccinated, that they should certainly feel uh, comfortable about going and getting a vaccination, but it should not be up to the president or your employer as to whether you get that vaccine or not. Again, this should be something that you discuss with your doctor and you make the uh, determination. I supported making sure that we made proper investments in the Veterans Affairs uh, uh, community so that all our veterans that chose to be vaccinated were had access to that. So, again, access is, is very important, but mandates is a, a totally different thing. And then to attest to whether you had the vaccination or not, I mean, are we going to start wearing symbols on our on our jacket to whether we're vaccinated or not so that people, you know, can know what's what we have and have not done? This is unacceptable to me. And I think it's going to be unacceptable to most Americans. Well, certainly to my listeners, because I've asked uh, just recently this week, we had a poll question asking our listeners, do you, should you should this be mandated or should people have the the the, the right to make this decision themselves? One hundred percent of those that participated in our poll said it should be up to the individual to make that choice. And that's that's where I stand. Again, not against the vaccine. Uh, you know, if they if they really were smart about this, I think what they would say is you can't have the vaccine. Uh, you're not going to be able to get it. And then maybe more people would actually want it. But it is it's the fact that we don't trust government because of what you said earlier. They keep changing. You know, one day it's this, the next day it's this. And then you have the heavy handed approach where even Nancy Pelosi, this was announced uh, yesterday. She's going to arrest, have people arrested in the Capitol who are not wearing a mask. 
Tony, it is terrible. So visitors and staff that come into the Capitol, that uh, come into these office buildings, come into the office buildings to visit me, if they are not wearing a mask, can be arrested and placed in jail with a $1,000 fine and six-month detention in, in jail. That is crazy. Again, this is not America when you start mandating that. And the strange thing is that if you go just to the Senate side of the Capitol, there's no mask mandate. So apparently there's some invisible barrier that, that falls somewhere around the rotunda that splits the House and the Senate that on the Senate side, this is not contagious and not uh, a problem. And yet on the House side, we have to worry about COVID. It's it's a really big problem. You know, my- and, and again, most of this boils down to just control yes. of people's lives and those who want to try and take control over our lives. And so we uh, had a session yesterday where uh, we went over to the Senate and there was about 40 House members that proceeded over there. And we sat on the Senate floor and in the Senate gallery without masks as Senator Mike Lee and Senator Marsha Blackburn and Senator Ted Cruz all gave speeches supporting the uh the people from the House that had come over there and talking against this crazy mask mandate that Nancy Pelosi has imposed upon us. Well, I, I, I applaud the members who are pushing back against Nancy Pelosi because they're doing so because they say, look, this is about our constituents. This is about the conditioning that is taking place. And I agree 100 percent. My concern here is this is the conditioning that is taking place by an overreaching federal government. But the question, Congressman, that our listeners have, what can we do about this? We all need to have our voices heard. You said at the very beginning, the only way this government works is if you're a participant. You cannot be a spectator. And that is so true. Everyone needs to stand up and speak to their local officials, their county officials, their state officials, and their federal officials and say, we are not going to accept these mandates and we are not going to accept the uh, the passports and the mandates for masks or the ban- mandates for vaccinations. These are things that people uh, need to have information about. And once we educate the population, they should be able to make decisions for themselves and their family about the way they want to conduct their lives. You know, in a, in if all things being equal, we can have those conversations and present the facts to people. But I was talking yesterday with Senator Ron Johnson about this. They're the big tech in collusion with big government, and they're silencing this discussion that should be taking place so that the facts can be put out there and people can make an educated, informed decision. They're trying to scare the people to death because when you scare people, you can easily lead them. And and that's why, you know, I'm so grateful for the platforms that we're on here with Washington Watch. People can hear us. Uh, and now Facebook and, and some of the others are giving threats. Uh, YouTube have taken taken us down when we've had these conversations. But these stations that uh, carry us, we can have the conversation. This is critical to Americans being able to make informed decisions. It is. The uh, big tech companies have really, as far as I'm concerned, become the propaganda arm for for the left. And so they're silencing any kind of opposition whatsoever. Uh, that's what Nancy Pelosi is trying to do. Any opposition, anyone who decides that they do not want to wear a mask, let's put them in jail. 
That sounds very scary to most people, and it should. And this is why we have to speak out against us. I will tell you, that's why you continue to hear conversations about antitrust violations with big tech because they are controlling so much of the conversation that people are trying to have. They're supposed to be platforms. They're only supposed to provide uh, the the uh, arena, if you will, for information to be shared back and forth. And when they step in and start censoring and making decisions about what can and cannot be placed on those platforms, they no longer are platforms. They are publishers, and they shouldn't be granted the protections and immunity that Section 230 provides for them. And so between the antitrust laws and the Section 230 laws, we need to uh, hold these big tech companies accountable. I could not agree more. And this is going to come down to an election, uh, because as long as we have the current regime in place, we're going to continue to get this type of authoritarian, overreaching uh, arm of, uh, of government. And this is why people need to be involved. Uh, Congressman Matt Rosendale, thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you for using your voice to speak out for the American people. It is always good to join you, Tony. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to speak with your listeners. Absolutely. Congressman Matt Rosendale of uh, Montana. And, and look, uh, there, there are a lot of good men and women here in our nation's capital that are doing the right thing the right way for the right reason. They're just not in the majority. Again, that's where you come in. Folks, I hope you are watching what is happening and don't give in to what the media is saying and to the discouragement that you know is is out there about the elections we've got to do our work ensure free and fair elections hold our elected officials accountable and be involved we've got to change what's happening here in washington dc or we lose the country all right don't go away we're going to come back with more washington watch on the other side of this break When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. 
The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Okay. Uh, this was out yesterday. The Los Angeles, Los Angeles Unified School District will require all students and employees who are returning for in-person instruction to participate in weekly COVID testing, regardless of vaccination status. This is what we're just talking about with Congressman Rosendale. There, it's just complete insanity. You know, get, get a vaccination. You won't have to wear a mask. What are they doing now? Not only do you have to wear a mask, you're having to get tested. Uh, this, is, this is why people do not trust our government. By the way, I hope, I hope that this is an incentive for parents, at least in Los Angeles where they're doing this nonsense, for parents to say, enough, I'm pulling my kids out of these government indoctrination centers and I'm going to homeschool my children. You know, we've, we talked about this earlier in the week. We've seen a huge increase, more than doubling of homeschooling. And this is part of the reason, this nonsense that's happening in public schools. Join me now to talk more about this. Meg Kilgan, an FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program. It's great to be here, Tony. I mean, this is one of the reasons I think many parents are rethinking public education. There should be plenty of reasons to rethink, but this again, is, is just, it's nonsense. You get vaccinated, uh, but you still have to be tested. Um, you know, you're vaccinated, you still have to wear a mask. I mean, it makes no sense. Well, and the, the arbitrary nature of this decision in Los Angeles, you know, it would make me as a parent, if I lived there, I, I would be wondering, you know, could I really rely on the schools? Are they going to Who's going to receive the results of this test? If you look at the documents about this testing procedure, only parents can register a student for a test. Okay, so that's good. But then they're going to email you the results, and they assure the parents that they're only going to share it with the public health officials who need to see the the COVID status of your child. This kind of invasion of medical privacy is unprecedented, and um, 
it, it should make parents think about what's going on in schools and what they're what they need to do for their families. Well, that's the good news, Meg. There are a lot of parents that are thinking about what's happening in schools and in, uh, in Virginia. Right here in this area, right. we've had uh, parents that are not backing down. Now, earlier this week on Tuesday, a Virginia circuit judge ruled that parents suing the State Department of Education and Virginia Secretary of Education, this is beyond me, lack standing to file a suit challenging the recently adopted guidelines regarding transgender students. These are the pronoun policies and, and all that other lunacy. Um, but these parents aren't backing down. No, they're not backing down. I the the part of this decision that just boggled my mind was the fact that they said that because the policies only affect the school boards, the parents who were suing over the model policies had no standing with with which to address the court <laughs> about the model policies. So uh, th- th- that just this this out of touch, out of control nature of our educational system right now is, I think, why so many parents are rethinking their educational choices, and rightly so. And it's why we we really have to engage in the system, because there's only one kind of thinking impacting education right now, and it's not ours. Yeah. Well, again, um, it's my show, so I can say what I want to say. Uh, but what I say is I think I don't think we should be sending our kids to public education. If you have any other option, get your kids out of these indoctrination centers. And because I'm, I'm telling you what, um, they're actually turning kids against their parents. They're, they're doing that because they're hiding information. They're telling, they're telling their kid, the, the, stu- the teachers, the administration are telling kids, don't tell your parents that. They are. They do that regularly. Um, there are... Books that are, you know, in the critical race theory uh, on reading lists and things um, that that are are things that children shouldn't be exposed to. Um, the the transgender policies where one set of records is kept for the student who chooses a new name and an opposite sex is kept for the school, and the school knows about all of that. But then there's a separate set of records kept for when the school has to engage with the parent so that that information can be kept from them. And this is done in many, many schools. I think parents need to confirm that it is not already happening in your school before you you just assume that it's not. How can you find out? I mean, if they're lying to you about that, how can you trust them to tell you the truth if they're say, okay, let me ask you this. Are you lying to me or not? Well, you, the I ha, there are a lot of very clever uh, folks out there. You could ask as a parent of a child who's wondering if his information will be kept confidential and ask how far they'll go, or you could call the school and say that you're concerned about a student whose name you don't give and you're wondering if that student would student would be kept safe by the school and see what kind of answers you get. But yes, you can't necessarily trust the response. Um, they, they're supposed to publish all the policies and if schools in Virginia adopt the model policies that the Virginia Department Board of Education is demanding that they adopt, then it will be obvious what's happening in Virginia. And there are plenty of states who have very similar policies to what Virginia is considering already. It's already standard practice in many places, sadly. But but as we talked about, even uh, actually uh, we're almost out of time, but even parents up in Connecticut are pushing back on this nonsense. 
they they're they're running in a one of the school districts in Connecticut is running a slate of candidates that's opposed to critical race theory, and they have managed to um, get the endorsement of the Republican Party there, and the sitting school board members who are endorsed by the party are no longer endorsed candidates of their of the party. So this is a big victory for uh, parents who are opposing critical race theory. Because these these sitting can these sitting school board members signed a, a statement of this lunacy, and uh, Gone parents along with are saying, everything. "No, not going to work." Yeah. Well. This is the good news. Parents can make a difference when they get involved and they uh, take a stand. Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. Thanks for keeping your eye on education. Thank you, Tony. All right. Uh, again, parents, man, you've got to know what's going on in these in these schools. If your kids are in the public schools, you've got to know what's going on. You've got to be involved. Again, I would encourage you, if you have other options, Get your kids out of these indoctrination centers. It is getting worse, and they're turning the hearts and minds of kids against their parents. It's it's tragic, but it's happening. All right, don't go away. We're coming back with uh, more Washington Watch, some good news out of Mississippi. They're fighting for the sanctity of human life, and we're joining them. We're going to talk about it next. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org slash blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. By the way, on the website, uh, we were talking about education. We've got a link to the FRC uh, FRC Action 
school board boot camp. Uh, if you want to know more, and there's a selection of different aspects. If you are thinking about it, there's resources there for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com. The Supreme Court, our nation's highest court, is about to hear one of the most significant cases pertaining to abortion probably in 30 years, going back to uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. This case could uh, overturn Roe v. Wade as we know it or significantly limit its judicial reach. The name of the case is Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. It comes out of Mississippi. It is about the 15-week abortion ban that the state of Mississippi passed. Now, Planned Parenthood and their ilk are, of course, hoping the high court will eventually strike down this common-sense state law. Uh, FRC has submitted an amicus brief, um, or what's called a friend-of-the-court brief, uh, in this case. Uh, And here to talk about uh, this case and FRC's involvement is Catherine Beck-Johnson. She is FRC's research fellow for legal and policy studies. Catherine, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. It's great to be here. All right. Before we get into FRC's brief, last week the state of Mississippi, the Attorney General uh, Fitch, introduced or submitted their brief, and it was an extremely strong brief going really at the heart of the matter, and that is Roe v. Wade. Tell us about it. It was an incredibly strong brief. You know, there was a lot of speculation. Nobody knew what Mississippi was going to do, what the attor- what approach the attorney general would take. We were hoping that she would ask for Roe to be overturned. We didn't know if that would be in the form of a little footnote somewhere. But the attorney general and the state solicitor general, the top lawyer for her, came out incredibly strong. The entire brief was attacking Roe. It called out Roe for what it is wrong. It was wrong from the beginning. It's wrong today. And it's done irreparable harm to our country and their lives lost as a result. So the brief went straight to the matter. It came out striking at Roe. And now it's in the hands of the court. And the court can't say that Mississippi didn't ask them to overturn Roe, which is something Justice Roberts said in June Medical, the last abortion case. So we're very, very excited and appreciative to the attorney general. So, Catherine, what uh, approach did FRC take in, in our brief to the court? So, yeah, we filed an amicus brief just today, and we said that the undue burden, the viability standard in Casey is not workable. And similar to what Mississippi said, the undue burden standard was wrong in the beginning, and it was wrong today. So states should be able to protect children before viability. Viability has no marker in the Constitution, has no reasoning in the law. It was an arbitrary standard that justices on the Supreme Court made up. So we're calling for the viability standard to be removed. And then it, it does go to the states. The states would then have the uh, the ability to set that policy for their state? That's right. And what would most likely happen in Roe and Casey being overturned is this would become a state's issue. So one state, let's say Mississippi, could protect the unborn at conception, and California could still legalize abortion all the way through pregnancy. But What the court has done in Roe and Casey has removed any state's ability to fully and holistically protect the unborn. And something else we argue in our brief is the viability standard removes any other interest a state might have in protecting the unborn, such as approaching and ending the use of abortion as a as a use of eugenics. So the Roe and Casey forbid any other, you know, 
any other reason to protect the unborn. And so we argue that states should have other interests in protecting the unborn. I mean, it kind of it's been two decades or two to three decades before the court revisits this issue. So you had uh, Planned Parenthood, you had uh, Roe v. Wade, you had Planned Parenthood versus Casey. I mean, this is going to be in the same league. I mean, this is a significant case. When will uh, oral arguments be heard before the court? Those will be in the fall, and we're hoping for an opinion in January. And that's exactly right. This is consequential. This is actually the first gestational limit, 15 weeks at the court ban that the court has heard since Roe. So this is, there's really no emphasis, you can't overemphasize just how big of a deal this case is. And, and we've learned so much in part by technology. Uh, we've seen society change its views on this. I mean, Unlike what the court wanted in Roe v. Wade, this issue has not gone away. They've not solved it. It's more of an issue today. The court could have the chance to resolve the political nature of this by sending it back to the states and let the laws reflect where the people are. That's right. And actually, a lot of other amici before the Supreme Court have argued just how out of line the United States is in their abortion stance. There are very liberal countries in Europe who forbid abortion after the first trimester at 12 weeks. Mississippi is only asking for 15 weeks. So we really do point out just how extreme the United States abortion jurisprudence is and how out of line it is. Catherine, thanks so much for uh, joining us and bringing us up to date. Obviously, this is something we'll be uh, talking about quite a bit over the next uh, few months. All right. Uh, Catherine Beck-Johnson, FRC's Research Fellow for Legal and Policy Studies. This is a really, really big case because it does have the ability to uh, send this issue back to the states. And when you look at the, the states, predominantly, predominantly the nation is pro-life be praying this is very significant all right on the other side of the break we'll explore how to live an intentional life as a follower of jesus christ with my friend and author heather johnston that's next here on washington watch don't go away is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. 
You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. As I mentioned, we've got the archived version of the FRC Action School Board Boot Camp. So if you're thinking about getting involved, and I hope you are, there's information. In fact, even if you're not thinking about running for the school board, there's still good resources there for you as a parent, talking about the issues that are going on in the schools, um, how to, if you are thinking about it, how to put together a campaign, just lots of stuff. We've got some more stuff coming up, so uh, we're going to be making those resources available to you as well. My next guest has a, uh, a special story to share. God called her away from her ordinary life into a pursuit after him that led her to an unexplainable love for the nation of Israel and a deeper faith in Jesus. And, and I've actually seen this up close and personal because uh, Heather Johnston is a, is a friend of mine. We've traveled to uh, Israel together with members of Congress. We've uh, been um, with them at their ministry here in the United States in Northern California. And it's just been amazing to watch how the Lord has uh, used them. And she's joining me now as a new author of a new book that's out today, Uncommon Favor, The Intentional Life of a Disciple. Heather Johnson, welcome so much. Welcome to uh, to Washington Watch. So good to see you. Thank you, Tony. It's good to be with you. All right, let's start with the book, Uncommon Favor: The Intentional Life of a Disciple. What's it about? 
Well, it actually is. Um, it's a narrative of the last kind of 23 years, a miraculous story um, of how um, stepping into the unfolding story of the biblical prophecies over the nation of Israel. Um, it's told through the lens of the first century Rabbi Talmud relationship, which is sort of um, takes you back, harkens back to you know Jesus and how, um, as a rabbi in the first century really what it meant to be a disciple of his. So it, it's a real interesting grid through which to make some personal decisions as you're going through the book um, about what that really means for you. And so I think it's a discovery of who you really want to become, um, even if you're older and are trying to make some personal decisions in your life. Um, alongside that, it just chronicles some of the stories uh, that we have lived in, um, even some of the years, uh, uh, some of the last in recent uh, stories uh, from the Trump administration and the miracles that took place. We were very, very involved um, working with the Trump administration and uh, Congress at that time. And so we got a real insider look. The book is, um, I think, a great story for people to read. Well, let's um Explain a little bit about, you're talking about through the lens of a first century rabbi Talmud relationship. What, what does that mean? What's that look like? Yeah. Well, a Talmud is a disciple. And so um, today, if you were to walk into a yeshiva or yeshiva, um, uh, which is a place of study uh, for a rabbi and his students, you would ask them, what is a Talmud? And they would say, well, that's our student. Well, so it's the same today as it was 2000 years ago. Um, the rabbis today have Talmud who follow them. And so to come alongside a famous Tal rabbi as a Talmud was typical in the first century. It wasn't just, you know, Jesus who discovered this and came up with this idea. Um, he actually came into a structure that existed and he held to that structure. And so really it's chronicling what was it like to be inside that first century dynamic and what did Jesus really mean by, by being a disciple his? What were the requirements um, to be able to follow him? And there were requirements. So the book takes you on that journey. It's out today, Uncommon Favor, The Intentional Life of a Disciple. Can you, it kind of goes over those 23 years you said of this journey you've been on. What, what are some of the highlights that we'll read about in the book? Well, Tony, you were on, on that first journey with me to Israel when we took the Armed Services Committee, if you'll remember that. And it was, you know, a big, gigantic step of faith because, you know, the Congress was not ever allowed to go inside the West Bank or Judea and Samaria. Um, it was forbidden by the State Department. And so we launched our own private tour and you went with me and you helped me get the people on the trip. But if you'll remember on that journey, it was Doug Lamborn that started pulling on my coat and saying, we've got to go see Iron Dome. Do you remember that? And I, I thought to myself, how in the world are we going to do that? And then the prime minister asked me a question, and I diverted, and I said, we have to go see the Iron Dome. Do you remember? And, and he had to make a decision right there at the table to declassify Iron Dome. So here we, up the next day, we're on a bus, you know, rumbling over the Judean desert to go out and see an Iron Dome installation. It was the very first time any U.S. official had ever seen it. And it was absolutely unbelievable. It was spectacular. And all I could think about driving over those roads was the prophecy of Isaiah 
foreigners will rebuild your walls, O Israel. Their kings are coming to serve you. And all I could think about was the U.S.-Israel collaboration that God was going to take it to another level. And it was Doug Lamborn with those five members that went back and pulled 54 members of Congress together. They wrote the legislation and began the missile defense collaboration by tripling the budget for Iron Dome, which allowed them to get installations over all the cities of Israel um, just in time for a Gaza in, you know, war about an, a year and a half later. And, so and, and by was, the way, I benefited from that, too, because I was back over there during that war and, uh, and, 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 you, <laughs> and intercepted one of the rockets coming into where we oh, were at. My goodness. See, that's one of our stories, and there's many in the book like that, that, you know, Because we've been the organization that has taken the Congress through Judea and Samaria, we've been able to initiate a lot of legislation and begin to change the paradigm inside of the U.S. Congress today um, uh, as they view Judea and Samaria, even Democrats and Republicans. So we've gotten quite a bit done, and um, then we were able to cooperate quite a bit inside the last uh, years with the Trump administration. Let's talk about a little bit about what is actually happening there on the ground in Israel, because J.H. Israel is actually there and taking members of Congress is just a just a very small part of this. That's the educational part of this. But you're doing education there with uh, Mm -hmm. with students and others in Israel. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, We are. And it's been quite a process. You know, when we talk about the unfolding prophecies over the nation of Israel, it's real. God anticipated modern Israel and that the Gentiles would participate. Um, He anticipated um, um, that he would be able to trust a certain generation that would be able to step in and cooperate with him over the prophecies. Well, if you'll think about Ezekiel 36 and how God said, I'm going to restore Israel, I'm going to rebuild their communities, they're going to be able to see the land burst into bloom for them. And after these things, I'm going to take out the heart of stone and give Israel a heart of flesh and put a new spirit inside of them. Well, that's happening in Israel today. You know, just as we're taking the Bible out of our schools in the United States, we're pulling God out, pulling prayer out as fast as we can. Israel has brought the Bible back into the schools and is bringing the biblical heritage to bear. Um, the identity, the spiritual identity, all of this is being discussed in the afternoons by high school students in every high school of Israel today. People don't know that. But that is part of this God removing a heart of stone, the secularism, the untenable agnosticism, and saying, Israel, I'm going to raise you up to be a light to the nations. This is just the beginning. So, Heather Johnson, when you look, you talked about the Trump administration, and you talked about our trips there, meeting with the former prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. There's been a change of government. I mean, the last several years in Israel have been a little bit turbulent when it comes to politics. Uh, what's it like with the the new administration? Well, he's a good friend of mine, uh, the Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. We've been friends for about 10 years, and I have great things to say about Naftali. You know, he, um, Tony, would hold to everything that we would adhere to as it concerns the nation of Israel. Um, it's hard to lose the lion-hearted Prime Minister Netanyahu. He's 
just iconic. He was the international leader of our time. Um, it's hard to have a generational shift and look to a new generation to lead Israel. Um, but Naftali Bennett uh, was just tremendously successful in business. He sold his companies, one for $135 million, another for $150 million in his 30s and early 40s. Um, he's had a successful career uh, in politics as well as just leading. And I think the thing that has stood out to me the most is he has a genuine and real spiritual life. And I've gotten to spend time with him. He led Israel's Ministry of Education, and quite frankly, he's the one that got the Bible into the schools. I, I, I think I met him on uh, one of our first trips over there when he was, um, I don't know if he was educated, was he a minister of finance at one time, I think? Yeah. I think he was the minister of education for years, Okay. Um, and I think he did for a short term was finance and other things, defense minister. So where can people get a copy of the book? Well, at my website, um, Heather, oh, at Heather Johnston, um, I think it's .com, yes, at heatherjohnston.com. And that is Uncommon Favor, the Intentional Life of a Disciple. You know, you and I have had these conversations over the years. Um, in fact, I remember one of our, I was out there at the ranch in Northern California. We had the first conversation about uh, connecting with members of Congress and, and working with the Israeli politicians. Did you ever think it would lead to this? No, no. You know, sometimes we surrender to an impossible command and we don't know exactly where we're headed and we don't have to know everything, but we certainly do have to show up. And when we show up, God does the mysterious work of partnering with us and guiding us and helping us to see what the next steps are. And before long, you're making history. So what do you see in your as you see what's happening in the United States, change of administrations here, a clear 180 uh, on so many of our domestic and foreign policies, change of government in Israel? What's the relationship going forward between the U.S. and Israel? Well, I think that we all have deduced it's certainly not like the Trump administration years, but I also think Israel is so much stronger than they were five years ago. If you really think about it, they're standing on their own two feet, and it's going to be hard for a U.S. administration to overly pressure them and be able to get results. Um, that is because they have a new standing in the Middle East. They've got five nations and treaties with them. The embargo, you know, with the Arab Gulf nations is, is over. For, for all practical practical purposes. And so Israel just in every way is at a whole different level. And I think the U.S.-Israel um, relationship is going to take a different shape. I think there's going to be a road into the Middle East on life sciences and pharmaceuticals. And um, I think the United States, uh, by, with bipartisan support, is going to find a way to incentivize private industry, um, reducing dependency on China uh, into the Middle East and certainly into Israel. Um, if you go to Israel today to set up a resource center or a research center and your Google or Intel, you get to keep all your intellectual properties. You get to research with the top scientists in the world on artificial intelligence. And so there's a lot of reasons to be doing business with Israel and um, that are bipartisan in nature. This strengthened position that they now have in the Middle East and the, the uh, treaties that have been initiated back during the Trump administration. Is that stronger position that they now hold in the Middle East a result of the policies of the Trump administration? 
Absolutely. And there's not a question about that. And across the board, I think that we will look back on the Trump administration, the U.S. administration at that time, and that will be the singular most important thing that was accomplished. Um, it certainly rose to the top and uh, it changed everything. It changed everything. Well, I, I do hope that they're in that position. And I, I, I agree, they're in a much stronger position today um, because we do not see an administration that has such a favorable approach as we did under the Trump administration. Uh, and I'm hoping they can weather uh, that storm because, quite frankly, it is still a very, very, in fact, even more so, a dangerous world in which we live with what's happening in Iran, China, and elsewhere. Certainly is. And so, Tony, I think that that's where these treaties come into play. I think that, you know, God prophesied through Isaiah that the kings were going to come to Israel. And there's going to be certain nations that align with Israel. The kings are going to be your foster fathers, the queens, your nursing mothers. The kings are going to come to the brightness of your rising. The nations are going to come to your light. All of these are these are not little serendipitous, you know, little quips. These are prophecies that are going to take place over Israel. And they're going to be a, 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 a very important uh, nation in the world until the last the last days. Uh, Heather, almost out of time. One final question for you. Speaking of biblical prophecy and talking about planting vines on the hills of Samaria, how's my vine doing over there? <laughs> well, I hope it's doing really, really well. I think it was growing like a weed. Um, you know, <laughs> yes, we have a national leadership center on the hills of Samaria. And Tony, more than 85,000 young people have gone through the leadership training, if you can believe it, inside of Judea and Samaria today on focusing on the biblical identity. How do I connect with God? How do I understand myself and how do I relate to the other through the lens of Joshua and David and Caleb and all your major leaders? So we are thrilled to watch the spiritual appetite in Israel grow and continue to grow. Well, and we'll pray that that continues. Heather Johnson, so good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And folks, pick up a copy of the book, Uncommon Favor, The Intentional Life of a Disciple. You can find out more by going to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Always great to be with you. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.